Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Beyond the Game. Ever wonder what your life will be like after sport? Check out Beyond the Game, an organization dedicated to elevating the vision of athletes through the connection of sport to what's next. Their aim is to create better athletes, stronger leaders, tighter teams, and most importantly, more enlightened people. Through research-based workshops, team seminars, keynote speaking, and one-on-one coaching, they guide people through some of the difficult transitions in sport and life. Follow their journey on Facebook and LinkedIn at Beyond the Game, on Instagram at Beyond underscore the Game, and on their website, gobeyondthegame.ca. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 9 of the podcast. Today's guest is Alina Dorman. Alina is an Ottawa native and current member of Team Canada's beach volleyball team and a former member of their indoor team. She had an award-filled five years on the volleyball team at the University of Toronto, where she was a five-time U Sports All-Canadian, five-time OUA East First Team All-Star, a U Sports Top 8 Academic All-Canadian, a three-time OUA East Player of the Year, and OUA Rookie of the Year. With U of T, she led them to three Ontario Championships and one U Sports National Championship in 2015-2016 as a rookie. She's also a national silver medalist on the beach, and her major was health and disease. Here is my interview with Alina Dorman. All right, I'm here with Alina Dorman. Alina, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing well. We're uh, recording right now in the time of COVID-19, so a lot of people have time just to be indoors and uh, get some things done. So, Alina, we're going to talk first about your journey. So, can you share with the audience how you got to where you are today as a former varsity volleyball player, and also on the national team in beach volleyball. Sure. Um, So I started playing volleyball competitively when I was in grade eight. One of my friends kind of heard about the tryouts for the Maverick Volleyball Club. So I just joined her. We had a lot of fun playing volleyball in school together. So I thought it might be something fun to do. And I was doing gymnastics outside of school at the time, and I was getting way too tall for that. So um, we decided to try out for volleyball, and I made the team that year. I was pretty surprised. I didn't have a ton of experience in it, but I guess the coaches saw my 6'6 dad bring me into the tryouts and thought there might be a future for me in this sport. So, um, and then I played with the Ottawa Mavericks all the way through to my 18U year, so grade 12. I had a lot of really good coaches throughout that time. Two especially stood out to me, John Spack and Bruce Stunning were kind of oversaw my entire career with the Mavericks and were really supportive in terms of when I started out, I really didn't know anything about volleyball. I wasn't super strong. I could barely serve over the net. And then they kind of made me see that this is a really long journey and you can be playing volleyball for a really long time. So they kind of opened my eyes to what I I might be able to achieve and really focused on that long-term athlete development. So That was really amazing and a great start to my, uh, I guess, volleyball career. And then I uh, ended up deciding to go to the University of Toronto and playing for the Varsity Blues. In my grade 12 year, I I decided to do that. And I just 
basically wanted to stay in, in Canada to pursue my education, but then also play at, at a really good school that was known to have great coaching staff and had a pretty good history of getting athletes to the national team level, which was something I thought I might want to do. So yeah, and that's why I ended up at U of T and it was probably one of the best decisions ever. <laughs> in terms of the national team, I had my first little taste of international volleyball, I guess. My grade 12 year, I was selected to the junior national team and it was it was very quick. We just trained together for two or three days and then went to a tournament in Iowa of all places. <laughs> but um, get it, getting to wear the, the maple leaf on my jersey for the first time ever was obviously very special. And then the next summer after my first year at U of T, I tried out for the indoor national team, the senior team, and made it. So that was really exciting. Yeah, so that's kind of my, my indoor career. That's sweet, Alina. And thanks for sharing just how you got into the sport of volleyball. You mentioned a bit about gymnastics. Were there other sports that you participated in as well before you got into volleyball? Yeah, I kind of participated in everything. In elementary school, in middle school, I was doing track, cross country, soccer. I played touch football in high school, um, ran the 200 meter and did high jump. So kind of everything. But once I found volleyball, I knew that was kind of it for me. I was naturally pretty decent at it. And then I loved being on a team and surrounded by other people. So that's kind of what made me choose that over track or any other sport. So you mentioned earlier about choosing U of T. So can you walk us through a bit of the recruiting process, being a recruited athlete in your 18U year from the Ottawa Mavericks, well-known club volleyball program? How did that go in terms of being recruited by different schools? It started a bit earlier, I would say maybe end of grade 10 or grade 11. I think it's starting to get earlier and earlier every year. So when I was going through this process a few years ago, maybe it was a bit delayed as to what it is now. But since I was mostly just looking at Canadian schools, I just kind of reached out to the schools that I was interested in attending. And most of them had already seen or heard of me. The volleyball community is pretty small in Ontario. All the coaches go to all the tournaments and stuff. And we were a, a pretty top team. So they knew who most of the athletes were. And then based on that, I went on a couple of visits to the schools I, I liked the best and ended up going with U of T. And I'm really happy with the choice. There, there was some offers from American schools because we went to tournaments in the States, but nothing that I really pursued. How was the coaching staff in terms of bringing you in, making you feel comfortable? I know you had a star-studded career, especially being rookie of the year and player of the year in your first year. So how did the coaches help you adjust to the varsity level and varsity lifestyle? My coaches at U of T, the head coach Christine, and then our assistant coach Vinny, who has been there for all my five years, are seriously amazing. From the first day I walked in, I felt super welcome. I mean, I think that's also part of the culture that they created with the other girls. I always felt like I was a, a valued member of the team. And then coming in as my first year, I was the only first year in the starting lineup. Everyone else had a super strong veteran presence and had been playing together for a lot of years. So I never felt like there was really any pressure on me to do anything special. They just said, go out, do your job. Like, we know what you can do. We, we know what you're capable of. Like there was never any extra pressure on me or anything to perform in my first year, which I think was really nice being in that role. That's a definitely good sign of a, of a strong team being able to welcome in the rookies and fit them in. So you mentioned a, a little bit about your national team journey. So can you talk about how you got into beach volleyball? For those who maybe don't have a volleyball background, it is a bit of a different sport, two on two out on the beach. So 
How did that differ in terms of getting into that sport? So I kind of played beach volleyball on and off through my club years. Um, I played a little bit every summer and really liked it. I had a little taste with the provincial team when I was 16, but then I made the indoor provincial team that summer and I said, well, indoor volleyball is what I know. It's what I really like. So I'm going to do indoor this summer, not beach. And then with my two summers on the indoor national team, there, there's no time to commit to any other sport. It's, it's a full-time job, really. So then last summer, I was, wasn't sure really what I wanted to do in terms of volleyball. And I ended up making the Fishu team for indoor, the World University Games team. But that was only one month of the summer. So I was kind of looking for other things to do. And one of the girls I know who plays for Brock, Laura Condotta, is a super awesome beach player. She's been doing that almost every summer throughout university. And she asked if I would be her partner. So, yeah, it kind of just went from there. And we started training every day and I fell in love with it. And then that made me want to try out for the national team or the beach national team this past November. And can you maybe tell the audience a bit in terms of the practice and the reps that it took to get to that level, what did that entail back in your high school days? I would say it's just working hard every single day. I mean, I didn't really know how far I would go in my volleyball career. So I would say just being open and kind of listening to all the coaches and all the different things that you're being told because you never know kind of what one piece of advice will stick with you or what will really make a difference for you. And then I think... One thing that really made a difference and then that has really helped me improve throughout the years is being really purposeful with every contact and opportunity, every rep that you have on the ball, not just going through the motions. And sometimes it happens to everyone. I feel like sometimes you have those days where you're just going through the motions and having those practices, but getting better at snapping out of that and making the most of every opportunity I have to be on the court, I think has really helped me. In terms of your team, your team has been very successful over the last five years. As I mentioned earlier in the intro, three OUA titles, a national title as well. So what do you think about your team culture and the practice and just everything in that community that's led to that success? Yeah, I've been really lucky, I feel like, to have been on part of such an amazing group of athletes and friends for the last five years at U of T, honestly. Every year has been better than last, and they've all been amazing teams. And I think that starts kind of with the culture we start on day one when we bring in the new athletes. And it's just kind of we share what our what we like our goals for the season have always been to win the OUA championship and win the national championship. And we kind of share that in a way that we we believe it. We truly do believe it each and every day. And I think having that goal and that purpose, and then the fact that we especially the leaders on the team believe in that kind of carries through to everything that we do in practice, giving it our all, you know, a hundred percent effort all the time, that kind of thing. It all stems because we know what we're working towards from day one. And as a senior athlete, do you have any role in terms of the recruiting process at all in terms of bringing in new athletes? Is that something that you get to share in at all? Not in any kind of official capacity. When athletes come to tour our campus that are interested in coming, sometimes we'll help out on tours or a lot of the time now athletes are allowed to participate in one practice with the teams that they might want to join. So then we'll talk to the athletes before and after practice and kind of give them a sense of what it's like. But we're we're not recruiting by any means. We're just 
you know, welcoming them into the gym for a practice. So. Okay, sweet. And that actually segues well into my next question here for young athletes that are maybe wanting to play at the varsity level, perhaps volleyball or other sports. What's some advice you would give them? Uh, they're maybe in grade 11, grade 12, and they're trying to reach that next level. Yeah, I would say be willing to get outside of your comfort zone and trying new things. You're going to be playing volleyball for a long time. Your club career may have felt like it was long, but there's a lot of volleyball ahead of you. So don't feel like you're stuck in one position or doing things a certain way. Just always be willing to grow and try new things and continually improve. And I would say if you're going through any tough moment, a tough game or, you know, anything, just to not make any moment bigger than it is. It's just one moment. Try and enjoy the good ones and move on to the next ones for the bad ones and just be present in every moment so you can really make the most of it. So for those who don't know, Alina's left-handed. So in volleyball, she's more likely to play on the right side. Have you played other positions before or has it just been opposite right side for you? I played as a setter a little bit when I was younger, but then I realized I really liked hitting, so I asked to switch. And then I actually had to play as a middle for my last ever tournament of club volleyball because we had just one girl couldn't make the tournament anymore with school commitments, and we just developed a whole system where I played both middle and right side. So for one tournament, I did play middle. Thanks, Alina. And we're going to move to segment two here day-to-day life you have a unique position being able to tell both the day-to-day life of being a varsity athlete and as well as being on the national team so can you start by sharing what it's like to be a varsity volleyball player one of the top programs in the country consistently doing well year after year yeah of course so our days are pretty busy we have class almost every day typically and then we'll have practice every day also and then there's usually some other kind of commitment so We lift a couple times a week in season, so that or, you know, a physio appointment, um, an individual skill session, going through video with our coach. So there's lots of different things that could be happening in any given day. So we're kind of all over the place, but it kind of settles into a a pretty regular routine once the semester gets started. So it's just getting used to that schedule and kind of prioritizing and finding the times where you're going to be able to get different things done. And did you find it hard to adjust as a rookie or did you feel like a lot of veterans helped you in that adjustment? Yeah, we had a lot of, our team was had a super large veteran presence in my first year. There was a lot of experienced fourth and fifth years and also luckily a lot that had gone through my program of life science. So they were, they had a lot of advice for me just in terms of scheduling and planning and our coach is super organized. So we always have like a well planned out schedule of, what our, our next few weeks or months are going to look like. So it makes it pretty easy to, to plan ahead. You just have to commit to the schedule that you make for yourself. How do you find balancing in terms of schoolwork? Maybe you have an exam to study for, but then you got a road trip all the way in Thunder Bay, let's say. How do you deal with that? I think the, the good thing about university is that you do know all your games ahead of time and you know all your, your tests and exams ahead of time based on the syllabus at the start of the semester. So it's not a surprise when you have that exam you have to study for in the game. You've known that since September, and then it's just figuring out ways to manage that and whatever works best for you. Some people are great at studying on the road, and they don't, they don't need to get anything done ahead of time. So it's just kind of figuring the strategies that work for you based on what you know your, your next few weeks are going to look like. So then that leads me to ask, do you study well on the road, or is that not something that you uh, like doing? Not at all. 
I always, I open up my laptop when we get on the highway and probably 20 minutes later it's closed. But I, I do try, but it hasn't gone well for me over the years. And I know some of the, the most of the women's games, if not all, are before the men's games. So you have to stay, especially if you're on a road trip. So do you find that you can get any work done in between that time, between getting on the bus back home? Not usually. We normally try and support our men's team and watch that game or we'll go get food to fuel up after the game. You usually don't feel like studying on a Friday night at, at 10 p.m. after playing a game. So try and find other times. Totally fair. I can totally see why that would be a, a hard thing to do. So in terms of being on the national team, what does that look like for your day to day? It's a little bit different in the sense that really the only thing that you're focusing on is volleyball and being at your best in volleyball. You don't have school. You're usually not in your hometown, so you don't have your, your friends and classmates around you as much. So typically when I was with the indoor team every day, we would have two practices. So maybe four to five hours of volleyball a day, typically a skill session in the morning and then more gameplay in the afternoon, and then usually a lift as well. So you're basically either getting ready for a practice or recovering for a practice or getting ready for the next day. And looks like that throughout the week and then usually Sundays off. And then this upcoming summer with the beach volleyball team um, was going to look pretty similar in terms of practicing and lifting every single day. And then that's kind of your focus and what you're putting all of your physical and mental energy into. And with beach volleyball, are you also doing, I know other sports like football, we've had people on the podcast who play football, for example, they do a lot of film study. Is that something that's common in volleyball, especially in the beach game? Film is, is super useful, both on yourself and on your opponent. So especially in beach, I think, because there's room to be a little bit more creative with the game since there are only two of you on the court. So every team kind of has their distinct style of play that they use. So film can be super helpful for, you know, assessing your opponents, but then also evaluating yourself and learning because something you may think you're doing, sometimes you see on video that you're not. So it's, it's a really useful tool to, to evaluate and keep learning. Can you describe for the audience as well, Lena, about playing those big tournaments on the national team? What does that look like in terms of the crowd, the atmosphere? Is that any different than, let's say, your OUA or U Sports games? Two of my experiences with the indoor national team have been at the World University Games, which is in itself a really cool experience because it's more or less a miniature Olympics where the only athletes that are eligible are university athletes. But it's similar in the sense that there is an opening ceremonies where all the countries walk into a huge stadium. You live in an athlete's village surrounded by everybody. So that kind of tournament environment is, is super different than the OUA or U sports because you're fully immersed in it. Like you're living with your team, you're living with other athletes. That's all you're really thinking about. And there they do get, you know, a lot of fans and stuff like that. But I would say even our, our OUA games this past year when we hosted the Final Four and stuff, we had a couple thousand people in the audience and our gym was full and it, it felt amazing. I mean, playing in a loud gym is fun regardless of, you know, if they're cheering for you or against you. I remember one time I was in the, the Dominican for Pan Am Cup and we were playing the Dominican Republic in a huge stadium, just crazy, loud, rambunctious Dominican fans and it's just fun being in that, even though no one was cheering for us, but it's still exciting to be in that kind of environment. So it's fun to be the enemy a little bit there and feel off of uh, the fans getting quiet then, right? Exactly. 
No, that's sweet. And can you describe as well, winning a national championship as a rookie, just describe the whole experience, the whole season, maybe summarize that in like a couple of minutes if you can. It's hard to, but I will try. Um, honestly, <laughs> that experience was surreal because I had no expectations going into the year. I didn't know what anything was like. I, I knew the team had been successful in previous years, but watching the game and then playing in that level, you can't really tell what the adjustments will be like before you're actually on the court with those athletes. But I think because all the older athletes were so clear in their purpose that season and just their their like kind of motto was about trusting the process that year. So we just kind of put in the hard work and followed our systems. And then that took care of the results the whole year. The national championship that year was pretty crazy. Our quarterfinal game, we almost didn't make it out of it. We were playing McGill, who we had lost to in preseason. I mean, we were completely different teams since then. A couple of months had passed, but we were we were down in the fourth set, 23-19. So the other team only needed two points to win the entire game. And we managed to come back and, and win a fifth set. And then our next game was against our first ever opponents from the Can West. We had never played a team from the West Division before, and they're known to be one of the best conferences out there. They have a lot of really strong teams. And I remember we were we just started the game in the first three points. They just we saw the three hardest balls that had ever been hit at us all season. And we were like, oh boy, this is going to be hard. And then we managed to, to kind of find our rhythm and get it together. And then we just kind of, yeah, played our game the rest of the tournament. And it ended out with a win, which was really, really exciting. And do you th- would you say that's your been your biggest accomplishment in terms of your university athletics winning the, the national championship in your first year? Or do you have other accolades that you are really proud of as well? Yeah, I would say both that national championship and then this year's provincial championship. We had a really strong season and we just came out and kind of dominated and we're playing our best volleyball in the playoffs. And it just, we felt it's kind of the best the volleyball has ever felt. So that was really, really exciting. And then, I mean, unfortunately, our national championship got canceled because of everything with the coronavirus. We were feeling really good going into that tournament and it would have been really exciting and special to have been able to play in it. But we're, we're happy with our, our OUA championship that we did get to play in. For those listening, you've probably seen a lot of different articles, even online or videos where athletes talk about being seniors and having their season cut short due to COVID. So that happened to you, Alina, in your fifth year. So how have you been dealing with the feelings and emotions of that process? Obviously, at first, when we were in Calgary, and we had already spent three days there practicing, getting used to the gym training, and then we're literally getting ready for our banquet, half curled hair dresses on and our coach calls us to a meeting. And first of all, the banquet is canceled. So we're like, okay, that's fine. Like the banquet's not even, you know, the biggest part anyways, but we still kind of go to dinner and then we come back and then we find out that the tournament is canceled. And obviously in that moment, that's heartbreaking. That's, we're already ready. Like the game is tomorrow. We know our game plan. We, we, were, we were ready to go. So that moment was definitely really tough. You're surrounded by your team in a hotel room and just kind of all the emotions coming in and just realizing that you, you've played your last game already. It's, it's happened. But since then, kind of just focusing on enjoying the journey, I've had an incredible five years at U of T and so many great things have happened. So although that one tournament would have been great and I, I wish we could have gotten to play in it, there's so many other incredible things that have happened. So kind of just focusing on that because that's the more important thing. So, 
Yeah, for sure. Understanding the journey of it all. And in terms of both your day as a national team athlete and on the beach, and excuse me, on the indoor volleyball court, what are some parts of your day that you find less enjoyable or menial comparatively to some of the things you enjoy? Well, I guess there's just some things like every day you have to do your shoulder band exercises to take care of your shoulders and little things like that, like making sure you have enough snacks with you after practice. It can it can add up and become kind of routine. But as I've gotten older, I've really realized the importance of those things and that they really make a difference in terms of your performance and how your body feels. So that's definitely helped them seem a little bit less menial or routine because I've learned to see the value in them and how beneficial they can be. Have you imparted some of that wisdom as you were in your fifth year to some of the rookies? Were you telling them the importance of those kind of things? A little bit. We they honestly our first years this year were like wiser beyond their years. They they came in and they were just ready to hit the ground running and kind of adopted everything. So maybe a little bit, but I, they probably brought it with them themselves. To be honest. Do you plan on staying in Toronto? Or are you going back to Ottawa? Or where are you kind of going to be in your day to day? As obviously with COVID nineteen, things are a little bit stunted with that. But once that's over, where are you going to be located in terms of training and things like that? Um, The National Beach team, their kind of home center is here in Toronto. So we have an indoor training facility as well as we use the beaches when it's warm enough. So that's kind of going to be my home base for the foreseeable future when we're, we're able to start training again. And then obviously with beach, there comes kind of tournaments all around the world. So for most of the summer, you're traveling, but then you kind of have that home base and indoor training facility throughout the winter. Looking beyond volleyball, because I know a lot of athletes who come on on the podcast will talk about kind of life after sports. So for you, uh, with your degree, you said in life science, specializing in health and disease. What do you plan to do after volleyball is done? I'm looking into doing a master's of public health or global health. I was actually accepted to, I applied to one on a whim and I, I got into McGill. So I was pretty excited about that. But I'm going to focus on volleyball for a little bit because I figure can only play it now when you're young. So might as well use that and I can always go to school later. But yeah, so public health or global health, I feel like it's also an especially interesting topic at this time. But that's something I've kind of always been interested in. So I'm not sure where that will take me. Maybe some kind of NGO job or policymaking. Not positive right now, but that's the, the future directions. Thanks for all your answers there, Lena. And now we're going to move to segment three, misconceptions about your role. I know some people will have certain views of what a volleyball player looks like or what being on a national team looks like. So can you kind of talk about some things you may have heard either in person or on the internet about what you do? Sure. I mean, I actually, I guess I'm lucky in that I haven't heard a ton. So when I kind of saw the outline of questions or things we might be discussing, I asked some of my teammates if they had any that they'd heard. And one I thought was pretty good was that they hear a lot that people think volleyball is easy. I mean, it's it's a non-contact sport. We're not out there running in laps for endurance. Like, it's not that kind of fitness that you need to play. And to that, I would just say I can't really think of too many other sports where the level of technical ability, we have so many specific techniques in volleyball and so many different skills that you need to be able to perform combined with the power, like being able to hit a ball as hard as you possibly can, but also in a certain technique. So combining power and finesse, I think in a really interesting way. 
And that's at least what, what makes me enjoy playing the sport is that combination of like mastering a technique, but then also being able to be strong and powerful. And then another one that I kind of hear is that people, if you just maybe follow a national team athlete on Instagram, you see us traveling around the world and playing volleyball with our best friends. So it looks like a, like an easy, enjoyable, relaxed lifestyle. And I mean, it is super enjoyable. It's amazing. There's a reason that people pursue this and make this their lifestyle. But I think you also kind of have to take a look at how many hours you're there putting in and kind of the dedication and some of the sacrifices that you have to make by being away from family and friends for months at a time to train and stuff like that. So you're, you're putting in so much every day, both physically and mentally, which I think not a lot of other lifestyles have that kind of level of like physical and mentally being drained. So I think that's something important to look at aside from there are all of those good things about traveling and being with your friends and stuff. There's also the other side of it. So maybe if you started posting on your Instagram daily workouts that you do, the eating that you have to do, the band work, maybe people would understand that it's uh, <laughs> not all roses. Yeah, they get a, a more realistic view for sure. In terms of being a varsity athlete, is there anything you heard about that that you might want to dispel? I guess there's kind of some notion that varsity athletes might get some sort of special treatment around campus or something like that. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, uh, we do get a lot of support being varsity athletes, especially at the University of Toronto, but it's really support that is allowing us to be both athletes and students. So if we're if we have to write a test and we're on the road, we still have to write the test. We just might write it at another time or you know, four hours before our game in a hotel room. So I think there are certain accommodations and there is a lot of support for us, but it's it's just so that we can be our best as both students and as athletes. And I think unfortunately part of that is what we see sometimes in the U.S. with um, certain cases that we hear that get mainstream attention. So then it starts to make people think that that's all varsity athletes, even in Canada. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how the situation is, but you definitely kind of I'm sure see that on the news and stuff sometimes, but for us, we're, we're still students at the University of Toronto first and then athletes second, but. That's awesome. I know for those listening, potentially not knowing an, a lot about volleyball, can you kind of talk about the differences between indoor and beach, maybe with the training, with the game and just overall in a couple minutes, if you could summarize the, the main differences between beach and indoor. I mean, there are, there are the big ones that, uh, Indoor is six players on a side and beach, you only have two. And then on beach, you're dealing with all of the elements. You're dealing, you know, you're jumping in the sand, which is so much harder. You're dealing with the sun, the wind, which changes the way the ball moves. So that changes the tactics and kind of the techniques of the game a little bit. And then as a beach player, since there are just two of you, you have to be a little bit more well-rounded and be able to perform all the skills at any given time. Whereas in indoor, you still have to be able to do the skills, but your role is a little bit more specialized. I would say the training on the beach is a little bit harder conditioning wise, just because you are spending your days running around in the sand in the hot sun. So there's that element that you need to be a little bit stronger at. And then, yeah, I'd say those are, are the main differences between the two. And you've had a, a career both on the beach and indoor. Do you see a lot of other varsity athletes in Ontario doing that as well, taking their talents over to the beach side to kind of get some extra training in the summer? 
Well, we're really lucky with our U of T program that it's offered to all of our athletes that we get to train beach in the summers with one of the national team coaches, Adriana, who is an incredible coach. So I don't think it's super common, but we've been really lucky that anyone on the U of T program who's willing to or who wants to try out beach can do that. And I think it can be it's really helpful to do so because you kind of improve all of your skills all around and you come back to indoor and you're, you're jumping higher because now you're jumping on floor all of a sudden and it feels so easy in comparison to doing things on the sand. So I think I haven't seen it a ton, but beach is also typically a later entry sport. People will sometimes play indoor first and then make their transitions onto the beach. That's pretty common and I've seen that from quite a few people. You see that also in, I know they have the professional leagues in America with the AVP where a lot of players were stars in indoor and then eventually in their 30s they end up playing on the AVP tour. So in terms of both being on the national team and a varsity athlete, what are some things you didn't know about until you got there? So I'm sure you had a certain view of what it would look like to be that athlete and then when you got there maybe there were things you didn't know about or it took you by surprise. I would say... One of the things is how important the basic skills are, just being able to, for example, pass a free ball perfectly to the setter every single time, just little things that really make a difference and kind of might go unnoticed in your club volleyball and things like that. But those little things really make the difference in terms of level of play. And I think those are important. And then also just the importance of the intangibles, like a team can be so much greater than just the skills of all the players that are on the team. So those little things, the connections between people and, you know, the willingness to work hard and bring that effort all the time. I think obviously you kind of hear about like, oh, this is important, like try hard and practice, but you don't realize the how huge of a difference those little intangibles and connections between people can make in terms of a team's success. The season is long, Alina. So how do you keep your team's focus, your focus in terms of the day to day of the grind of the eating, the, the training and the practices? We, we like to take it just one step at a time because the season is so long. It spans both semesters. We start preseason in August. And then when the season's over, we get right into off-season training. So I think we just focus on it one week at a time. You know, this is our next game. This is our, this is our gold medal match for this week. That It's this game. And then that's just what we're focused on. So we're we're really able to not get too overwhelmed by the big picture of the season and just focus on on doing us and playing us every single weekend. So within the season, there's going to be adversity and negatives that happen. So how does your team bounce back from a loss or a potentially a season-ending injury for a player? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, our coaches emphasize on being able to bring our best and doing the best we can, regardless of the situation. We're going to face adversity And I think they focus on just us being able to bring us and doing our best regardless of the situation. So we actually, we did suffer that this year. One of our left sides had a season ending um, ACL injury halfway through the season, which was heartbreaking and, and really tough. But the coaches kind of just talked to us about how they, they knew how strong we are, that we can remodel and we can, we can change our identity a little bit and kind of regroup and just come out strong from that tough situation. Yeah, the focus is always on us. We're, we're not, not really worried about the external for circumstances. It's really just on what can we control and what can we do to bring our best. Sounds good there. And we're going to move to segment four here. This segment, I didn't prep you beforehand. We're going to go into some rapid fire questions. 
So the first question here, name your top three sports teams and athletes of all time. Oh, that is hard. Okay, so top three sport teams, I would say, are Raptors, Germany's last soccer team that when they won the World Cup, and Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer from Ice Dancing at the Olympics. There you go. And within, so I'll, I'll give you Tessa and Scott. So that's two athletes. Do you have one more athlete that you look up to or that you're fond of watching? Yeah, I've always loved Usain Bolt. Yeah, just an incredible athlete. And then he's always having a good time out there. So Sweet. And that actually leads well to question two, which is what is your favorite sports memory of all time? So if you want to maybe share your favorite sports memory as a player and then share your favorite sports memory as a fan. Sure. Um, personally, it's a tie between, I think I mentioned earlier, winning the U Sports Championships in my first year or walking out as Team Canada at the World University Games in Taiwan in 2017. Huge crowd, you know, waving a Canadian flag, wearing your jerseys or your opening ceremonies outfit and surrounded by all the other athletes is pretty cool. And then I guess favorite moment as a fan was either Raptors winning the NBA championship last year or Usain Bolt breaking his world record at the Beijing Olympics. So you've lived in Toronto for five years, so you basically adopted Toronto as your home at this point, it sounds like. Yeah. All right, sounds good. So we move to question three, some non-sports questions for you. You have one last meal to eat. You got to tell me the appetizer, main course, dessert, and drink. You know, this is actually challenging. One of my friends has an Instagram that she made dedicated to asking people this question, and I have not even been featured yet because it's so hard. <laughs> but I would say probably like a barbecue meal outside in the summer. Um, that's so good. Like something on the grill, like fresh mango salsa on the side. Dessert, something lemon, probably lemon gelato. And drink, I love sparkling water. Perrier, probably. <laughs> Is it flavored or just non-flavored? Plain, plain. Plain. All right. Sounds good. So question four here. I'm going to give you the chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You're allowed to book any band or artist in the world of all time. So living or dead, you got to pick three and the order in which they play. So who, who do you got? Oh, wow. These are hard. Okay. I'll just say the last three people I've seen in concert. So that would be fun to see them again in, in my backyard. So the Lumineers, Kygo, and Vance Joy. So question five here, what's the best advice you ever received as an athlete? So maybe a coach had told you something or a veteran on the team when you were a rookie. It's pretty simple. Our assistant coach Vincenzo told me this, Alina, your job is easy. Just hit the ball as hard as you can. And I was like, you know what? You're right. It's that simple. That's all I have to do. So yeah, that kind of was a little light bulb moment for me that, you know, just keep it simple and, and do what you know how to do. So. So do you hear his voice in your head every time you go up to hit then? Is that something that you hear Coach Vincenzo telling you to do that? No, but if I don't do that, I hear his voice yelling at me. So, so you practically would hear his voice. Yeah, no, he, he's the best. So he, he's taught me a lot. So I'm, I'm really pleased or really happy that I've gotten to know him. All right, last question here, Rapid Fire. If you could be any position on any team in any sport, what would it be? So I'll, you have all the talent in the world. You could be anyone. What would it be? I think I would be a professional high jumper. 
I think that's pretty cool. I think it looks interesting. Yeah, I think it looks like a good time. And did you ever do it yourself back? You mentioned that you did a bit of track. Did you ever get into high jump or? A little bit. I just learned in gym class kind of, so nothing serious ever. All right, sounds good. So that actually concludes our rapid fire question segment there. So if our audience wants to find out more about you, where can they find you? Sure. Yeah, they can follow me on Instagram. It's just at Alina Dorman. Yeah, that's pretty much the only social media I use. So sounds good. And I'll leave that Instagram account in the show description. And you can also see a highlight video of Alina on the Instagram account, I believe. So you can take a look at that as well. A link to my highlights from this season. So if you want to check those out. And who uh, who made that video, by the way? I edited it together from our assistant coach, Vincenzo. He puts together video of us from every weekend of our games. We can see the good things and then the the not so good things we did. So uh, I put together all the good things. (laughs) You should maybe uh, put a bloopers reel or something out there. So he must spend a lot of time doing that then to get uh, highlights of every player after every weekend. Yeah, he spends a lot of time doing that. He has a, a program called Data Volley that kind of connects video to coding, but you have to be very good at it to be able to to make the most of the technology. And he he's a bit of an expert in it. So we're, we're really lucky to have him. Well, that's sweet. So Alina, thanks for your time coming on the show. I do appreciate it. And uh, you sharing about your life and journey. So good luck to you. Hopefully when COVID's over, uh, you can get back on the beach and uh, represent Canada. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Othniel Spence, basketball player for Simon Fraser University. Hear about how his faith impacts the way he plays his sport and what life is like playing in NCAA Division II basketball. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at the channel Juan and Only Sports. Cashew listeners on the flip side. Peace.